Well, this Sunday, uh, we've got a special guest speaker, a dear friend of mine, uh, Ryan Pazzer. This is his fifth summer back with us, so thanks for coming back, Ryan. And um, I've known Ryan for 15 years now, I believe, and uh, I was at Corinth Church in Byron Center as a seminary student, and Ryan was my pastoral mentor. And so he's been coming back and preaching every summer. He's got, a, he's got a great word for us today. Last week, if you were here, Pastor Newt talked about working out your salvation. It was a great, great message. Well, this message today is going to be kind of a uh, continuation of that. What does it mean to work out your salvation in the midst of trials? What does it mean to endure? I'm really excited for you to hear this message that Ryan um, has this morning. Well, good morning, and it's good to be here again. Uh, yeah, it's hard to believe I've been coming here for five years now. Um, but uh, I love, love being with you, uh, both uh, enjoy getting to talk to some of you, but uh, love to be able to share God's word with you as well. I'm uh, originally from the Chicago area. Is anyone here from that area as well? I don't know. Okay, a few of you maybe. Uh, so I grew up in uh, kind of the world of Chicago sports. That was what we watched. That's who we rooted for. Uh, you know, over the, the years, uh, baseball... Hockey, things have been, been pretty good there. Basketball, you know, you got to look back a little bit. The, the Jordan years were a highlight, obviously. I don't think we'll repeat those again. But, you know, when it comes to football, Chicago's not looking too good. Um, in fact, I got to go all the way back to when I was in grade school, 1985, Chicago Bears. Uh, there was Mike Ditka, Refrigerator Perry, Jim McMahon, and then there was uh, someone who kind of stood out from the pack, I think. Um, his name was Walter Payton. He was uh, 5'10", 202 pounds. He wasn't a particularly big running back for the NFL, uh, but during his career, he set one of sports' greatest records, the all-time rushing record of 16,726 yards uh, over 12 years. Uh, basically, he carried the football over nine miles. And though his record has uh, been surpassed by Emmett Smith, uh, here's what I find truly impressive about Peyton. He was knocked to the ground on average every 4.4 yards by someone much bigger than him. But he just kept getting up. And if you ever watch footage, he was not only good of, of weaving away, but he kept getting knocked down and getting back up. And, uh, and that's what we want to talk about a little bit this morning. Not, not football, but it's almost a cliche to say this, but we all know life is not easy. Uh, as we move forward each day, each week, and year after year, we're, we're going to face setbacks. And things don't always go the way we expect they will. So we might hope to lose a few pounds. I'm actually on a diet right now. I started three weeks ago called the keto diet. Uh, I'm doing okay. But I'm hopeful that that will, that will work well. Uh, you might be trying to save a little bit more this year or do a little more around the house or... Um, you know, maybe get, get something, a project you've had in mind done. But then hours get cut back at work, or you have car problems, or one of the kids needs braces, or you just get busier than you expected, and uh, you, you don't have the time. Or sometimes it's even harder. It might be something like cancer, or you lose a job, or there's a divorce, or even a death. Uh, sometimes it feels like all we can can do is just try to get through the day. And during those times, I think even people who don't have faith in God might wonder to themselves, is, is there any purpose to this? Is there any purpose to what I'm going through? And why is life so hard sometimes? 
Now, I should confess to you, because I'm going to use a little bit of running imagery, uh, I'm not much of a runner. Uh, in fact, running is probably one of my least favorite things to do. That's probably why I'm on a diet right now. But uh, I've always admired, always admired people who can run and who love it. Uh, I've never run in a marathon. I have a lot of friends who have. Uh, I probably never will. But if I tried to run one today uh, with no practice or preparation, I'd probably kill myself. So what is it that separates me from uh, a long-distance marathon runner? Why do they succeed where I might fail? And I want to suggest it's not a question of age or even athletic ability. Uh, the main difference between those who run marathons and those like me who don't is the process of preparation. Running in a marathon is preceded by months of daily decisions, getting in shape. You're increasing your body's tolerance. You're stretching the limits of your endurance. And so marathon runners build up that endurance by running further and longer over time. And they do it because they know what they want, right? Uh, they trust the promise or the payoff of running, and it brings them joy or at least a certain sense of satisfaction. And this morning, I want you to think about your own life. Um, I don't care if you're 5 or 55 or 105. Uh, I want to ask you how you're running your life. Do you tend to be more of a sprinter? Uh, you have those short bursts of enthusiasm uh, where you, you go from here to there. Or, you know, think about how you respond to hardship or pain. Are you tempted to give up when things get tough and throw in the towel? Or are you more of that long-distance runner? And today we're going to look at what the Bible teaches about God's purposes in our lives and how God strengthens and develops our faith uh, even through those challenges and difficult times. So how do we develop endurance? That's what we're going to look at. And we're going to begin with a word of prayer. So join me in prayer. Father, we uh, come to you this morning, and I don't know the stories here gathered in this building. Uh, we have so many different lives represented. Some people may be having a, a great morning. Maybe they're on vacation. Others uh, maybe are, are dealing with struggle and heartache, or maybe some of the things I mentioned earlier. Wherever we are this morning, Lord, we know you are uh, a faithful father. You are the good shepherd. You are here to meet us where we are. And I pray that your word would speak to us this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Webster's Dictionary, uh, or you can go to Google, uh, defines endurance as the act, quality, or power of withstanding hardship or stress. So how do we develop this quality? Uh, well, in high school, I, uh, I used to spend part of my summer vacations with my grandparents. Uh, they lived on the Mississippi River in northwest Illinois. And from the time we could almost stand up, my grandpa had been taking us out water skiing on the Mississippi River. Uh, but I'd never learned how to go from two skis to one. And so that summer, since I was there for a couple weeks, he was like, you know, we're going we're gonna to get her done. We're going to teach you how to slalom ski. And so uh, I got up. And uh, would, we, we did it the way we would drop a ski. I would get up on two, drop the one, put my foot back, and I'd go for a few hundred feet and topple over. And we did that over and over and over again. And, and finally, even though I was improving a little bit, uh, it was incredibly frustrating. I just gave up. I was probably 12 years old. And at that time, it wasn't that important to me. But the truth is, I've pretty much avoided water skiing since then. And I've never learned to work through that particular challenge in my life. And for most things in life, uh, we learn that there's no shortcuts, right? 
Uh, if I want to learn to do that again, I'm going to have to start right back where I left off. I can't shortcut that process. And the same is true as we develop as followers of Jesus Christ. There's, there's no shortcuts to developing a faith that's going to endure, that's going to be a muscular faith that will be strong over time. Uh, there's a number of passages that speak to how we develop this endurance in our faith. And so rather than focus on just one, I want to cover a few to this morning. So you may, if, if you're the kind of person who likes to flip into your Bible, that's great. I love that. But this morning, you may want to follow along on the screen and just jot down maybe Bible references if you'd like to look at later. Uh, we're going to be moving a little bit quickly through a few passages. So, uh, Romans 5 is a great place to start. Uh, and we're going to start in verse 1, and I'm, I'm starting with the NIV here. It says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. So right there we're told that uh, this is going to be about those who follow Jesus. It's for those who've been justified or who have uh, peace with God. And Paul goes on to say that we have a reason to boast here. He says, uh, we're not boasting in ourselves, but we're boasting in our hope in what God has promised to us. So basically the future is bright, he's saying. Things look good. And so far, that, that sounds good to us. Uh, who doesn't love the promises of God? But then Paul says something that might stretch us a bit. He says, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. Or listen to how the New Living Translation says it in verse 3. We can rejoice, too, when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. Now, for most people, uh, problems are seen as something to be avoided. We tend to prefer the easy path or the smooth road. We don't like it when things get messed up. So, uh, confession here, and I hope there's a few of you like me out there. Uh, I'm a little bit of a neat freak. This may sound uh, a little bizarre, but when I was about 10 years old, 11 years old at home, um, the rest of my family were complete slobs, and, uh, and they know it. And so uh, when I would get home uh, from school, I would, uh, sometimes I would get out the vacuum, vacuum the floors. Uh, things were always scattered places, and I would make little piles of stuff. Now, my, my parents didn't mind it too much. They actually kind of liked it because they didn't have to pay me to do chores. Uh, now that I'm married, though, my wife appreciates it some of the time when she has a, a big project out, and she's got stuff scattered all over, and it's like a multi-day project, and she comes home and finds everything in piles that she had separated out. It's, it's not so great. But I do the dishes. I do a lot of stuff. I just can't stand messes. And you may not be like me. That might be a good thing. But most people actually aren't out there looking for trouble. They're not looking for messes in their lives, right? We want comfort. We want ease. Uh, we want a trouble-free life. But is that what Jesus promises us if we've decided to follow him? In fact, it's not at all what he promises. In John 16, Jesus flat out tells us, in this world, you will have trouble. And to that promise, he adds two more. He says, I've told you this so that you may have peace. 
In other words, don't be surprised by the trouble. And secondly, he, he says to us, I have overcome the world. He says, you may have trouble, but I know how this is going to end in the end. I win. So don't be discouraged by the trouble. And as Christians, the Bible teaches that we should approach the problems of life with a different perspective from the world. Even in the detours of life, uh, we should see purpose. We should welcome the opportunity to grow. Uh, Listen to what James, the brother of Jesus, writes uh, to his church, which is a church that was actually in the midst of suffering and persecution. People were being taken away. There were threats against their lives. And James writes in chapter 1, I'm reading from the NLT here. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Now, stop right there. Uh, This may be a passage you've heard before, but how many of us, if we're really honest, think this way? Whenever trouble comes your way, consider it an opportunity for joy. And I want to suggest that if you read something like that and you don't think James is a little bit off his rocker, you're missing the radical and countercultural message of the gospel. We, we sometimes just glance over passages like that, but I think we should say this is kind of weird, you know? It's not normal advice you give to someone, but we don't stop there, right? James gives us a reason why we should see troubles as a good thing. He says they're an opportunity. He says, for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. So James here is reminding the church of an important truth about the spiritual life. If the members of the church want to develop a faith that's going to last them through these challenges they're facing, through the difficulties of life, what I would call a muscular faith, they're going to have to change the way they look at their lives. Uh, Remember what James says again, if, if when your faith is tested, it's when your faith is tested that your endurance has a chance to grow. So instead of getting angry and frustrated when problems come up, instead of trying to point fingers and blame others or getting depressed, James is telling his church to welcome those hardships. He says welcome is an opportunity to work out your faith. I know you heard a message on that last week. To develop strength of character, to grow as followers of Jesus. I think, uh, I'm not a farmer, but I love to work in my garden. Um, But farming provides us with a little bit of an illustration of this. Uh, A pastor was talking with a farmer about his soybean and corn crops one day, and there'd been a lot of rain, um, which isn't like now, of course. Although you guys did get rain. We don't have much in Grand Rapids. Uh, there'd been a lot of rain, though, and, and the crops were growing well. And uh, the farmer warned that his crops were especially vulnerable just at that moment because even a short drought could have a devastating effect, even with all the rain. And he explained that a non-farmer sees the frequent rain as a benefit, um, that during, but during those times, the plants aren't required to push their roots deeper in search of water, and so the roots remain near the surface And then a drought after frequent rains leaves the plants unprepared and they quickly die. And I think this picture can help us understand two important truths about developing endurance. First, something about the context for developing endurance, that 
Endurance, if we want to grow as enduring, lasting followers of Jesus, that it's mostly going to happen in those times of difficulty and hardship. As Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. But it's not enough to just experience those things, right? Because everyone of us goes through difficult times. Some people grow frustrated and angry. Others grow bitter at God. Some walk away from their faith or grow disillusioned. So there has to be more than just kind of toughing it out, right? Well, Paul and James have already given us a little bit of a hint as to what this is. As we look a little further in James chapter 1, he makes it clear that there's a second factor in developing endurance, and that's our attitude toward difficulties and hardships. Endurance only develops through an attitude that trusts in God's good purposes. In verse 2, James assumes that Christians can face difficulties with joy because they believe in God's good purposes for them. In verse 12, he even clarifies the reason for that joy. He says God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. So I want you to catch this. The joy that enables endurance is based on God's promises to those who love him. And that suggests to us that one way we learn to endure is by keeping our focus on that joy, on the good things that God has promised to us. Now, when our faith is tested, the first challenge we always face is a question about God. We wonder, is God really good? Can he really be trusted? Uh, I, I had probably my first taste of this, though certainly not my last, uh, when I was a college student. Um, I was a new, fairly new Christian at the time. I uh, was really on fire for the Lord, but still growing in my faith. And I had an opportunity to go to Japan to serve as a missionary for three months teaching English. I also, um, my, my grandpa uh, had been sick for a while, um, and I was pretty close to him. And... Uh, it was at the point where things were stable but uncertain. And so I made a deal with God. I, I prayed and I said, God, I will go to serve you if you promise me that you will not take my grandpa, that you will, you will keep him healthy while I'm gone. Well, you can probably guess where the story's going. I was uh, about halfway, almost exactly halfway through my time in Japan. And I got a call one night my parents said, you, you know, your grandpa's passed on. And uh, it was hard. Uh, I was close, very close to him. Um, and on top of that, couldn't be with my family, missed the funeral. In fact, it wasn't another almost two months later before I was able to kind of even be there and, and go to visit uh, the gravesite. You know, difficult circumstances. In, in that case, I, I had kind of made a deal with God, and I thought I was safe. Difficult circumstances will test our faith, and they will tempt us to deny that God has good intentions for us. They place doubts and they place fears in our hearts. They might tempt us to question his purposes. And how we respond to those doubts or those fears makes all the difference. Sometimes people may quote Romans 8.28 to someone who's going in the midst of a hard time or a death. We know that 
God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. I want to say this is one of those truths that may not be right for everyone in that moment of suffering. I was a pastor for many years uh, at the church Travis mentioned, and I uh, had some, some difficult funerals, parents losing kids, uh, just challenging circumstances. And uh, I know that the best response in those situations is, is not to quote a Bible verse saying that to someone. It's simply to, to be with that person. Uh, we don't need to pretend that we're God or suggest that we know what the good is in every circumstance. Now, there may be times where we can see something over time, but it's not our job to try to figure that out. So don't pretend you're God. Don't pretend to understand the why behind why everything happens. That's not what I'm saying this morning. In those situations, we need to simply be there. We need to love them. And most important, this is why I learned, you need to remind them of God's love for them. You see, you can't go wrong in reminding people of God's love. We may not always know the reason why, but we can still believe in God's love for us. And here's why, because we can look to something outside of our circumstances. We can look to Jesus. We can look to the cross. These were things that happened in history, real truths that we can count on. We can look at the evidence and we can put our faith there. And that brings us to the third factor in developing endurance. And it comes from a letter written by Peter, who's one of Jesus' closest friends, and he was a leader in the early church. And he writes in 2 Peter 1, 5 through 6, he says, Make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence, moral excellence with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with patient endurance. There's our word, right? Patient endurance. And patient endurance with godliness. Now, Peter knows that all Christians are going to face times when they're tempted to doubt God. So he reminds us that there's a process here for developing a muscular faith, what we're talking about, a faith that's going to endure. And he noticed just a bit down the list that when he mentions endurance, he connects it with self-control and before that with knowledge. And I think that's important, and here's why. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a, maybe a goofy little thing, but it's probably the only thing you're going to remember this morning. Um, I remember it this way. We cannot grow if we do not know. We cannot grow if we do not know. And notice that Peter starts all this with the promises of God. And he says, make every effort, every effort. You know, it sounds like uh, maybe you could use that in sports, right, with Walter Payton. Make every effort to endure. Make every effort to respond to them, he says. And that means, first of all, we need to know the promises, so my question for you is, do you? Do you know those promises? You maybe have come to church for 15, 20 years, but you're sitting here and you can't think of a single promise of God. What has God said to you as someone who has faith in Jesus that you're actually counting on today? A promise is, like I would tell my wife, I'm going to be home by, by 6 p.m. She's counting on that promise. What are you counting on Jesus for today? That's what your faith is all about right now. See, the only way you're going to know those promises is if you're spending time in the Word. I want to encourage you to read your Bible, but especially I would say the New Testament. There's a lot of good stuff there that Jesus says. 
But don't just read it for information. Sometimes we read to be Bible scholars. But I want you to listen for God's promises to you. And then the important thing is respond to them. Look at your circumstances, and if God's promise doesn't match up there, you need to respond to the promise, not to the circumstances of your life. It means responding to them even when everything around us screams that they've failed us. See, when life's detours and challenges come, do, do I really trust that because God sent Jesus to die on the cross for my sins, that God's purposes for me are good and loving? Do I really believe that despite the setbacks and the challenges in my life right now, that God isn't done with me? And if we believe that, we have to learn to act on it. Peter tells us that self-control leads to patient endurance. In other words, endurance develops when we know and we trust in God's good promises, and we exercise self-control over our circumstances and our emotions. And that brings me to the heart of, of what I want you to know this morning, that endurance is not automatic. It's not a matter of going to church for 40 or 50 or 60 years or you know, learning the Bible for that time. There aren't shortcuts that you can take. It wasn't enough for me to know how to ski. I had to do it. <laughs> In his book, uh, A View from the Zoo, there's a, a zookeeper named Gary Richmond. He talks about the birth of a giraffe that was under his care. Uh, he says the first thing to emerge was the baby giraffe's front hooves in his head, and the, the whole newborn is hurled forth. He lands on his feet and then falls onto his back, and in seconds he rolls to an upright position with his legs tucked under. He looks at the world for the first time. He, he shakes off some of the fluid from his eyes and ears. The mother giraffe lowers her head long enough. She looks at her young giraffe, and then she positions herself directly over him. She waits for about a minute, and then she does this unreasonable thing. She swings her long leg out, and she kicks her baby, so it's sent sprawling head over heels. And then when it doesn't get up, she uh, does this violent struggle again and again. The calf struggles to rise, grows tired, the mother kicks it again, knocks it over, Finally, the calf is able to, to, to stand up for the first time on those wobbly legs. And then the mother giraffe does this thing again. She kicks it off its feet again. And why? Because she wants it to remember how it got up. Because in the wild, a, a baby giraffe has to be get, able to get up as quickly as possible to stay with the herd where there's safety because there's lions and there's hyenas and there's leopards and there's wild hunting dogs and they enjoy eating young giraffes. And they'd get it if the mother didn't teach her calf to get up quickly and to get with the program. And I think there's times, I know in my own life, where uh, it just feels like I'm going from one trial to the next, and I feel a little bit like that baby giraffe. You're just getting kicked over and over again. But as we've learned from Peter, this is how endurance develops. It's a process of continuing to get back up and looking again to the promises and trusting in who God is and who he says he, he is and, and what he's done for us. Trusting in his goodness despite our circumstances. Now there's one thing I have left that uh, of all the things I've talked about because if I ended right here, you might be led to believe that endurance is the result of human effort. That you just grow stronger in your faith uh, like a good athlete, by trying and toughing it out with your willpower. 
Uh, but nothing could be further from the truth. I mean, willpower is involved, but it's not the most essential thing. I'm going to date myself a little bit here, but uh, back in the technology stone age, I had a portable camcorder. I don't know if everyone here knows what that is, but uh, I had a, a battery pack for it. It was a camera that needed this big battery pack, and when I bought it, the instructions recommended uh, that you let this battery pack discharge fully. In fact, the first few times you use it, it said, you know, let it discharge all the way, um, because if you do that and then recharge it, you actually will, it will last longer. It will endure longer. I want to suggest that, that God uses hardships and difficulties in a similar way in our life. That our difficult times, we may not understand the why, but I do know one reason why. They tend to discharge us of our self-dependence. You could say they bring us to the end of our rope. They empty our dependence on our human strength and increase our capacity to receive God's limitless power. A good example of how Jesus uses hardship and temptation is to look at Peter again. On the night he's arrested, uh, Jesus is arrested, and uh, it, before Jesus is put on the cross the next day, uh, in Luke 22, Jesus says to Peter, his, this is one of his closest friends here, he says, Behold, Satan has demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. In other words, Satan wants to get your faith out of you. But I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again or turned back, strengthen your brothers. Now we know how the story goes. Peter ends up denying Jesus three times. He gets a big F on the faith test that night. But we know the bigger story is that God is weakening him to make him stronger. Listen to how Paul, uh, another follower of Jesus in the early church, describes his troubles. Paul's talking about a, a trip he had taken, and he says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we'd receive the sentence of death. But this happened, these troubles, so that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. Paul says, this trouble was beyond my, my ability to endure. I despaired, but why does he say this happened? So that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God. And when Paul later prays for his fellow Christians in one of his letters, he prays that they're going to have endurance to withstand the challenges to their faith. And notice in this prayer, I'm going to show you in just a sec, that when Paul prays, he names the source of that endurance. Because it's not found through human effort or willpower. In 2 Thessalonians 3, 5, Paul prays this, May the Lord lead your hearts into a full understanding and expression of the love of God and the patient endurance that comes from Christ. You see, the endurance we need to persevere, the stamina we need to run the race, to cross the finish line, doesn't come from our own strength, ultimately. It's a gift that God gives us. It comes to us in the person of Christ, and as we've seen, the ability to, to look beyond our circumstances and trials only comes when we believe, as, as Paul says here, in his love for us. We must believe that God is for us, not against us, that he has our good in his heart. So here's another phrase I have for you one I want you to remember this morning. 
If we want to endure, we must be secure. And by secure, I mean secure in God's love. The mark of a growing Christian is that they're ever, ever confident in God's love for them. They know they are beloved. So do you know that love this morning? That's my biggest question for you. The Bible tells us that we're sinners, that we've rebelled against our king, we deserve death, but that king has loved us. Jesus endured the agony of the cross for the joy of having you and me as his own, as his beloved. And friends, the secret to endurance is remaining secure in the love of God. And if you cling to one promise this morning, cling to John 15, 9, where Jesus says, I have loved you just as the Father has loved me, the, the love of the Trinity. I have loved you with that love. Now remain in my love. And that's the trick, isn't it? To endure, to remain in his love. So I want to close this morning by reminding you again of those two key truths I shared. Number one, we cannot grow if we do not know God's promises. So it's a great reason to spend time in the Word. Again, not to get information, but to know for me today in my life right now, where do I need to hear God's promise? Where do I need to, to live into that? And number two, if you want to endure, we must be secure in God's love. The best way to do that, read the Gospels, listen to what Jesus said, listen to how he treated people, and look at what he did on the cross. So what can we also do to grow in God's promises, um, to grow secure in his love? As I end, I want to give you, in addition to those two things, just a few practical suggestions that might stretch you a little bit in your faith. Now, these aren't the only things you can do, but I personally find them helpful. And again, I said I'm not much of a runner, but uh, I want you to, I'm going to use a running image here to, to maybe help you remember a little bit. So number one, the first thing, practice daily stretching. Uh, what I mean by this is, uh, you ever find yourself, I do this all the time, I'm in the supermarket uh, and I um, am standing in line and the line next to me, the guy got there at the same time and now three people behind him have already gotten out and I'm still standing in the same line. I get incredibly frustrated <laughs> and I start to think, these people and this system and everything's wrong and coming up with multiple ways to fix it. Um, in those moments, I want to challenge you or, you know, maybe it's, it's you're, you're driving on the highway and it's just going so slow and you're late for a meeting. Those moments of frustration you experience, these are little things that we just experience and we go past. I want to challenge you to stop and try to think about your situation for a moment and just say a quick prayer. God, Open my eyes to what you want me to learn in this moment of frustration. Now, this isn't a huge life problem, right? I hope it's not. But in those moments, you're, you're, you're stretching, I call it. You're stretching for the main event. You're preparing yourself to deal with those frustrations by dealing with the little things. So that's one thing. Number two, uh, I call it increasing your tolerance. Uh, and this is the reality that if you're an American and you've lived most of your life here, uh, compared to the rest of the world, your life is probably uh, pretty, I won't say easy, but it's better off in many ways. Uh, I was a missions pastor for many years, and, uh, and I can attest that uh, we have a relatively love, a comfortable level of ease here in the West. So I want to challenge you to do things that put yourself outside your comfort zone. 
Now, for some, that might be maybe a mission trip. It doesn't have to be overseas. It could be helping here locally, doing something you might not normally do. Uh, it might be teaching a Sunday school class. It might be joining a small group this fall, uh, getting involved in something that makes you a little bit uncomfortable. But God is going to stretch and grow your faith as you take those opportunities to put yourself in situations that don't make you comfortable. So that's number two. Number three, find a running partner. Uh, life is not meant to be lived alone, especially the Christian life, and so don't try to face the challenges by yourselves. Uh, I love my church, Corinth, because when someone is hurting or in need, people flock around them, and I'm, I'm sure your church is like that too, um, but we can't do it alone. So we need someone who's going to be there in those tough times. Be that person to someone else, and you will find people are there when you need them as well. And then finally, stay hydrated. And uh, a few years ago, I, I was hiking in the Reef Mountains in Morocco, and um, it was hot and dusty. And I learned there that hydration is essential because a 10% loss of water leads to a 50% loss of energy. So staying hydrated is essential. And this is also true spiritually, that you need frequent rest stops throughout the week where you're drinking from the living water. And you need to allow yourself time for that to replenish. If you try to face stress and difficulty without being properly watered, you're going to grow tired and weak. So those are just a few ideas. Uh, I went through them pretty quickly, but uh, hopefully one of them stuck with you. Uh, and I want to encourage you to think about maybe one of those this week and maybe think about something you can do to respond to God's promises this morning. Uh, remember, developing endurance in the Christian life isn't automatic and it doesn't happen quickly. It's the result of deliberate choices we make every day as we trust the truth about God over our circumstances. And in the words of 2 Thessalonians 3.5, and I'll close with this, may the Lord bring you into an ever deeper understanding of the love of God and the endurance that comes from Christ. Let's pray. Father, we uh, come to you this morning grateful for the example of your word, for the promises it contains, for the, the examples even of people like Peter and Paul. Most of all, Lord Jesus, we thank you that you were willing to endure the scorn and the shame of the cross, the pain and the agony of suffering God's wrath on our behalf so that we might receive the gift of your endurance, the gift of knowing that we are loved, that you have promised a wonderful future with you. And Lord, though we face challenges and setbacks, uh, my prayer this morning is that those promises would become very real to us and your love would become a sustaining power in our lives, something that we trust in and depend on daily. Help us to endure. We pray this in Jesus' name.